these people that were dealing with chronic injuries were giving rave reviews to their friends. I just got this hacked up shoe and it helped me run so much better. And so word started spreading. And all of a sudden, we're getting requests left, right, and center for modifying people's shoes. This is Running For Real, the podcast for runners who know that for every runner's high, there are just as many lows. All those just missed PRs, easy runs that feel hard, injury blues, and more. Each week, we'll talk to running, health, and wellness experts about their highs, lows, and best advice to build our confidence. Running For Real is about being honest, being brave, and most of all, not feeling alone. And now here's our host, Tina Muir. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 183 of the Running Thrill podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am excited for you to hear this episode. I'm a little bit sad with this episode because this was originally meant to be recorded in person. Ultra was meant to host a summit for their athletes actually about a month after you were listening to this at the uh, beginning of April with obviously what was happening worldwide with the coronavirus, we had to cancel that event and it meant that I didn't get to do this recording in person. However, I did get to do it on the phone through Skype and I am thankful for that. And I'm thankful for my guest today giving the time to to do this. And uh, yeah, so today I have Brian Beckstead on the show. Brian is one of the co-founders of Ultra Running. Now you've heard me talking about why it's important to me, why the brand means a lot to me, but actually there's so much behind the story of Ultra that you probably don't know. It really is inspiring. And if you think about it, if you really take a second to step back and imagine trying to break into the running shoe industry, when you've got these massive power players with massive budgets and, um, you know, what they, what they are able to do with regards to getting ahead. We saw that very early in the year with one of the major brands stepping ahead with, Uh, some shoot technology but you can imagine kind of coming in late from scratch and just being a few a few guys working together would have been pretty intimidating and so I wanted you to hear this story because I really believe it is a powerful one and it can represent so much so I'm excited to bring you Brian Beckstead on the show if you want to find links to what we're going to talk about in the show, uh, you can go to tinamuir.com forward slash episode 183 to find the show notes to find out more. But yeah, let's go meet Brian. In my episode a few weeks ago with Alison, I told you about my brand new partnership with Tracksmith, a Boston-based brand led by a group of runners who are committed to making classically stylish, cutting-edge apparel. Have you had a chance to check out the website yet? This is such an exciting opportunity for me to be able to introduce you to a brand that is really making waves within the running industry. You know me, I love to root for the smaller guys, especially those who are coming up against the giants by just being who they are, allowing their quality, personality and heart to show through. That is what initially attracted me to Tracksmith. And when I was in Boston last April, after hearing friends raving about the brand, I decided to check it out. I hosted a meetup there that they were kind enough to be the host of in their flagship store. I had no affiliation with them. They just wanted to be a place where runners could meet, runners could celebrate. We had about 50 people lining up to wait to come and talk to me. And honestly, that was the highlight of my weekend because just getting to talk to people within the community, getting to you know, get to know people. It was such a special time for me. And so I had Tracksmith as a, a special place in my heart. And then after that meetup, I really checked the clothes out. I was curious, like, 
what is the big deal with this brand? But it was clear that they put a lot of thought into making their products quality. And I love that runners could get running clothes to handle the often less than tender way we treat our clothes. We're not yogis out there with a bead of sweat that forms on our forehead just one at a time. We are out there pushing, striving, sweating, giving our best, and we expect that of our clothes too, or at least I do. We need our running apparel to be able to keep up with us. And yes, sometimes be able to handle two days in a row when laundry day is just around the corner. I can tell you how much I love the heart of the brand, but we all know that really quality matters too, right? And you're going to love the quality of Tracksmith's closing here. They only work with the finest materials from merino wool and the training tops to a unique nylon knit that's sourced from the best Italian mills for their running shorts. And all their garments feature details that let you focus on the things that matter. I'm loving the Horizon tank right now. You know, there's nothing like the soft, worn-in feeling of a cotton tank, but cotton and sweltering miles don't always mix very well. Tech fabrics offer lightweight wicking performance that can feel stiff and tacky. Made from a dry-release fabric, this Horizon tank combines the comfort of cotton and the weightless, quick-dry properties of polyester. That brings you to a result of a sophisticated tank that is soft and wicking, durable and whisper light. To welcome listeners to the podcast, Tracksmith is offering 15% off your first purchase. To learn more, visit tracksmith.com forward slash Tina Muir. That's T-R-A-C-K-S-M-I-T-H dot com forward slash T-I-N-A-M-U-I-R and enter code Tina. That's tracksmith.com forward slash Tina Muir and enter code Tina. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today on the Running For Real podcast. I am really excited to have you here and, and thanks so much for, for giving me some of your time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And um, for those who don't, do not know, uh, you are the uh, one of the co-founders of Ultra along with Golden Harper. Um, and, and there was a third one named Jeremy Howlett. Oh, okay. I should probably know that. <laughs> okay. <there was laughs> a, Jeremy Howlett, you said? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. He's no longer with the brand, but he was absolutely okay. involved in the early days. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there was three of you. Um, and, uh, but now people know that this is running for real for a reason. I sometimes make mistakes like big ones. Um, <laughs> and I want to start, you know, obviously I want to learn about the brand kind of coming up. And, and for those listening, they know my relationship with Ultra. However, for those of you listening, this is a very interesting story. It's not the kind of typical I mean, if actually, if you think about it, if you really take a step back and think about trying to break into the shoe market, I mean, most people are going to realize that's not an easy thing to do. Um, but the story of how this kind of came about is is very interesting. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So um, this isn't just me kind of promoting Ultra and saying, you know, I love Ultra, you should love Ultra. This is just a really great story of kind of overcoming things and figuring things out um, and kind of being the underdog and finding a way through. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of lessons in this episode, but Brian, with you, I want to start, you know, during your own running career in high school and college, you were successful, but you had this injury stretch of about 18 months uh, with, if I read this right, four stress fractures, which is quite a lot. And and, um, I would imagine quite difficult uh, emotionally and mentally going through that time as well. Just beginning there with your own running career, looking back now, what what mistakes did you make there to kind of lead to that situation? Because that is a pretty big number within a short amount of time. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, I think it really created a foundation for ultra as well, just because I'd been struggling with injuries and it, it caused me to do a lot of research. It caused me to do a lot of questioning. 
uh, I ramped up miles collegiately way too fast. And I, I definitely have, um, kind of a, just a go, go, go mentality. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn, you know, be humbled that, Hey, you gotta be careful. You gotta pace yourself. You've got to find, um, different ways to stay healthy. And it really opened up uh, a book in terms of research and questioning and, uh, learning about running even further after dealing with that because it ended my college career. I had a fairly non-existent college career because of all those injuries. And I just quit. I quit running completely actually for about a year after the, after that, the second bout of stress fractures. And so, um, you know, and, and I was able to reestablish my love for running as I, Begin more trail running and just starting taking it easier, starting to run more on trails. And that led to a whole career in trail running and ultra running and now ultra. So as, as much as it was terrible and it was really hard emotionally, it also created a lot of opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I think that's quite often the case, isn't it? And that's kind of what I wanted to bring home here that when we get these injuries and anyone who's listening, who is injured now or coming back from an injury or just kind of in that slumpy stage, it's hard to feel you know, I remember um, people saying to me like, oh, one day you'll be glad this happened. And I say it to people all the time. And I know when you're in that stage, you're like, shut up. Because you're <laughs> like, there's no way I'm going to be glad this happened. Like, this is miserable. But like you said, it does often open up other windows and other doors for us to kind of find a way through. And and you mentioned there that you it kind of led you taking that year off um, and taking some time away, allowed you to discover trails. Now, was this, you said you took a year off. Was that you did not run a step for a year? Yeah, I, I did not run basically at all for a year. And did you remove yourself from the running world completely or were you kind of still involved, but just kind of like, well, my body's not meant to run? Well, yeah, I, I was still working at a running store. So I was uh, working at a running specialty store, trying it on. So I still around the culture, but uh, I, I just took it off. I just said, you know what, um, I'm going to explore other things. I really, my other, one of my other passions is uh, fishing. And so I spent a bit more time fishing that year. I took the summer off and went up and worked in Alaska uh, just for fun and just played and, and worked up there for the summer and just kind of took a year of kind of rethinking in terms of, um, you know, what I wanted and my priorities. I, um, got married to my wife that year actually. And so, you know, a lot of good things happened with me taking that off. And then I was able to just slowly get back at it. I missed it. Um, I was still talking about it, working at the running store. Um, but I wasn't on the team anymore, the college team and just helped me, helped me kind of rebalance myself. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you, you kind of discovered trails. Now, Maybe it was taking that time off, having the perspective, but for, for, I remember myself kind of coming back from injuries, uh, when I was taking things a bit more seriously, the idea of going on trails when coming back from an injury would be the last place I would go because it kind of felt like if you went on the trails, you were giving yourself even more risk of an injury because I might roll my ankle or twist my knee or some, or something that would put me back injured. And that's the last thing I want. So, but what was it about the trails getting out there that kind of a reassured you to kind of give running a try again, but then B, I guess, settled your mind with those injury paranoias? Uh, well, I would have to say that um, I, I think there's some pretty good research on this too, that if you are injured, trails is a great direction to go. Um, for me, 
there was a lot of reasons why I went to trails. First of all, I, I've always been an outdoors guy. I grew up in the outdoors camping and fishing and hiking and backpacking. And, and I live here in Utah where we have great access to the mountains and trails. So I obviously love the mountains, even from a, a young, young child. Uh, the second thing is a lot of the research that I had been doing, I, I ended up in a degree in exercise science. And it was that that and, and golden as well was, was very much into this. And that is that, that a lot of running injuries are just repetition injuries. Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at trails, you're going up, you're going down, you're doing side to side. And so all of a sudden that, those repetitive motions that you get, it spreads that out and it creates a much more healthy way of running. The third thing is that for me, I was so cued in on splits and distance mm-hmm. and time and trail running. I, I, we ended up moving our first apartment when we were first married was kind of at the base of this little trailhead. And it, it was just a, a way for me to de-stress. And when I was getting back into it, I just enjoyed running on the trails. I stopped, didn't look at my watch. I didn't really care about distance. I just did it because I loved to do it. And that really created a fire and a passion for recreated that for running and also kind of refocus my brain that, you know what it running is, doesn't have to be about how Mm -hmm. fast I go. It doesn't have to be about competing against other people. Running can just be about de-stressing and just enjoying the motion. And, and it was a great de-stressor for me. And that's, you know, it it was fantastic. And now I've been running ever since. So Mm -hmm. You know, in all, in, mostly on trails. Trails mm-hmm. definitely my focus. So so good to hear that, and I'm kind of in that stage right now of of realizing, wait, there's a there's a world outside of times and paces. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's, <laughs> it's a great realization to have for sure. Now, going back to um, you know your story with with the brand here, um, you and Golden Hopper being these college students um, working retail. Um, that's a pretty typical route for college students to be to be doing but how how did the conversation about making running shoes come up you know you hear about college students having these oh wouldn't it be cool to create blah 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 but they never you know very rarely get uh, any action taken on them so how did that kind of come about with you and golden First of all, it has a lot to do with the running store that we are working at. Golden's dad owned the store. His name's Hawk. And he was a fairly competitive runner. And and like me, he struggled with a lot of injuries early on. And so he began talking a lot about running technique and biomechanics. Mm. And so Golden and I were really raised in an environment in terms of our running and, and especially in high school where running technique was was talked about. And this was in the late 90s. Um, where biomechanics didn't become a, a thing for at least 10 or 15 years after that. And so we were the, the kind of the basis for ultra was really established in high school in the, in the late nineties. And in terms of biomechanics that we don't need these big motion control and pronation shoes that were being sold on the market. We very much believed in a more lighter weight, neutral running shoe. And I think that got our brain thinking as to why is the industry selling these big, clunky, heavy motion controls and and stability and guidance shoes when really that's not what we felt was successful. So that kind of created some of that rift between us and the regular industry. And as we went into college and started working at the running store, we had a lot of access to shoes and to footwear. And interestingly enough, it happened right after college. I 
um, because I just graduated. Golden was about to graduate and he was going to take over his dad's running store. And so I needed to move and further my career. So I took a job as managing an outdoor specialty store. And, you know, this was less than a year after graduating college, about a year, I guess, after graduating college and six months after going and, and moving on from runner's corner, I got a phone call from Golden. Mm-hmm. And the phone call essentially was, I just took out the heel of a running shoe. I hacked it up and dude, our, my mechanics were so much better. And we started brainstorming this and started talking about it. And Golden started talking this to all sorts of people. And next thing we know, um, we start hacking off the heels of our shoes. Like literally sawing them off? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it started golden initially did it in a toaster oven where if you heat up a shoe enough to not burn the the laces, it will melt the midsole and make it malleable. And so that was the first thing he did. We found it a little more effective when we bandsawed it. So we ended up bandsawing these shoes up to the forefoot. We would then belt sand the heel down and make it even. Right. And we needed a name for it. And the the term we came up with um, that golden named was zero drop. And we would call it zeroing the shoes where we would just, mm. you know, take it and make it flat. And that was, that was fun. That was cool. All of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, we run better. We don't heel strike as much. We start doing more video analysis and particularly golden at the running store still started getting, you know, our friends started talking and golden started recommending it to chronically injured runners at the running store where people that I've tried pronation shoes, I've been to physical therapy. I have tried motion control shoes. I have tried everything and I just keep getting injured and I keep having issues. And so we started recommending it to those people where we would be like, look, we'll, we can bands all your shoes and we can take this brand new $120 shoe that you just bought and we will hack it up for you. So you would take any, any pair of shoes that someone has oh, yeah. and you kind of like oh, yeah. took it in and modified it. Yes, it's exactly right. <laughs> Any brands, there's certain brands that weren't as easy to do um, and certain models that weren't as easy to do. But as we found out, as we were hacking up these shoes that people's, these other brands, you know, fill in the blank, you know, air gel wave, fill in whatever cushioning system that they, there was, there was not as much underneath the foot as you thought. And um, the biomechanics of taking off the heel were shockingly good. And these people that were dealing with chronic injuries were coming back and just giving rave reviews, mm-hmm. not just to us, but to their friends. I just got this hacked up shoe and it helped me run so much better. And so word started spreading. And all of a sudden, we're getting requests left, right, and center for modifying people's shoes. We, Hey, you know, and and we, we didn't want to do, we didn't mean for it to get big like this, but it just happened. It was Mm -hmm. so organic and it was just so fascinating. And next thing we know at these trade shows that we were going to, we were buyers and buying, you know, all sorts of products. We started telling other brands about what we were doing to their shoes. And how did they react to that? And the reaction was (laughs) varied, but uh, unanimously, uh, no, you guys are crazy. As in crazy because like, what are you doing? We've already got the perfect shoe. Why would you uh-huh. change it? Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. And, and, um, some of the brands were very nice about it and some of the brands were actually quite rude about it. And 
after a while, we were just like, why isn't the industry changing to this? We, we had all this research. So what we were actually sending out a survey for every modification we would do. And we'd say, hey, next time you come back into Runner's Corner, we'll give you $5 off your next purchase if you bring back the survey. So that first year, we modified and we actually partnered with um, someone that does that professionally, a footwear. I just lost the word for it. Um, he had a, a shoe store, so he would do resoling. He had resole shoes and things like that. So we started sending people to him and doing it a little more professional for 20 bucks. So people would pay $20 extra to do it professionally through him. And we had almost 600 surveys done in the first year. We'd modified over a thousand pairs of shoes. And so we had this, all this research and, and people spreading the word and zero drop was becoming a word that would pe- that, that, that was used and it started getting on the internet. And that's when, um, Jeremy Howlett said, which was golden's cousin mm-hmm. came up and said, why don't you start a shoe company about this? And that hadn't occurred to you at this point. No, at that point. We, we, we were just selling <laughs> shoes. We were retailers. We were shoe buyers. Mm. We were runners ourselves. All we wanted was to just run in this, a shoe that was designed from the ground up. And we wanted to help runners, right? We wanted to help our customers. We, we didn't, we were in our, you know, 20 mid twenties. We, mm. we didn't have these dreams of starting a shoe company. We just wanted to run. And we wanted to help our customers run better as well. And so Jeremy said, Hey, let's start the shoe company. What do you guys think about starting a shoe company? And so one thing led to another and we're like, this is actually kind of doable. And, um, Jeremy ended up finding, uh, advanced concepts team up in Portland that brands would reach out to that didn't have the resources or, um, and the big brands too, mm-hmm. large brands and small brands. And, and these guys were just contractors and they, we went and pitched them our concept up in Portland and they just said, Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. This is exactly why we want to do this. And they actually came from Nike and Adidas, the two guys, they're kind of at the end of their career and wanted to just do something a little more solo and a little more free. And they were like, this is exactly why we wanted to start our own little prototype company. So we didn't have to deal with these big companies and we wanted to do cool and fun and unique things. This is exactly what we want to do. So they were so excited when we, when they heard our concept and, um, and off to the races, we went with their excitement and their expertise. They were able to advise us quite a bit and we were able to put our concepts to pen and paper. And one thing led to another. Um, Funding was our next challenge. That was not easy. Yeah, I want to get to that in just a second before yeah. you, before you go on any further. Yeah. I want to break this story down a little bit as we sure. as we go through. So you mentioned the zero drop. So at this point, were the shoes just called? Did you would you just kind of nicknaming them zero drop shoes? Like you didn't have a, a, a yeah. name or anything? Okay. No, we we were we were zeroing. We'd say, hey, we can zero your shoes, and okay. they'd be like, what's that? We're like, we'd take your shoes and make them zero drop, and. Okay. Um, that's how the terminology happened. Okay. And then where did the wide toe boxes come into it? Uh, because that's, I, you know, for me, that was the, the real game changer part of it. Like I just, now that my toes have got used to that, I, I, I did, I put an, another pair, another brand on about a year ago and I just, I was like, oh my God, my toes, they just feel squished. So that's a big part of, I know for many of my listeners, but how did that come into it? Cause that's not something like you can hack the, the heel off a shoe, but you can't, you know, add materials. So how did that get added into the mix? So this actually was 15 years in the making. 
So the first things that we would do at Runner's Corner, and we were very different. We were very alternative, and I think we I, I consider us very forward thinking at the mm-hmm. time. We would size up everybody at least one full size. You know that I, that much bigger than almost any other retailer, and definitely more than what shoe companies would recommend. We also carried as many widths as we possibly could. And then the third thing we would do is we would lace the shoe, what we'd call a wide shoe lacing, where we would skip the two bottom eyelets and kind of create a gap there. And so it's something that we, as we were talking about the zero drop concept with the shoe companies, we were also saying, look, we want shoes that were a little bit roomier up in the toes. Here's what we do to allow for that. And so that's something that we've been doing for a dec- over a decade at Runner's Corner at the time. And this was 2009 when all this was kind of coming about. The summer of 2009 was when Jerry Jeremy was said, Hey, let's start a shoe company. And so that we'd been doing that forever. And so that was just a part of who we were. It's part of who runner's corner was these, uh, the sales reps and the, the various shoe companies that we'd been dealing with for a long time had heard us requesting this for forever. We'd always been pushing for roomier shoes, um, roomier toe boxes, create more wits. So it's something we've always been a part of. And so that was the culmination of, okay, we already had been doing the, the wits or we, we, now call it foot shape because it's shaped after a healthy mm-hmm. foot rather mm-hmm. than traditional shoes, which jack up your feet into bunions and aromas and things like that. And so that's kind of the, the foundation of the foot shaped toe box. Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this episode of the Running Thrill podcast. By now, you know, I am a big fan of Athletic Greens. The Ultimate Daily is the all-in-one supplement with 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients that work together to help the body absorb and synthesize these nutrients in a highly bioavailable form. It was originally developed for athletes and high performers. Just one scoop uh, of Ultimate Daily delivers adaptogens, antioxidants, prebiotics, probiotics and a superfood complex that helps support the body's nutritional needs. And I have found it just to be a wonderful addition to my life. I wake up first thing in the morning. I do. I stumble into the kitchen. I pour water into my shaker, um, mix the scoop of Athletic Greens in there and drink it down while I write in my journal. Life changing. Gets me off on the right foot. I know I've got, you know, uh, my safety net of nutrition going in every day, even if my diet hasn't been the best, particularly during pregnancy. Um, But it has been just a great thing. Uh, It's taken by elite. It's taken by professionals health conscious go-getters. It makes it so easy for you to get this comprehensive nutrition without the need for multiple pills, powders, or complex routines. It really is the most complete supplement for a better you. Uh, It has the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetable in every scoop. And I know that I'm getting these hard to find ingredients and a high level of antioxidants that can boost my immunity. Uh, Bailey and Steve both recently got the flu. And I honestly think a big part of how I somehow managed to not get it was because of Athletic Greens. I genuinely believe that. Now, my friends, you can get a 20 serving travel pack for free. That's worth $79 by going to athleticgreens.com forward slash Tina. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Tina. And you will be able to get that 20 serving $79 value pack for free. And with these big races we have coming up, you do not want to be leaving this to chance. It feels horrible if you wake up the week of the race with sickness. Get this in your system so that it's ready. It's helping protect you. So when race day comes, you are ready to go. I believe in it so much and I hope you do too. 
so then, yeah, uh, 2009, um, you know, this is all kind of coming together. Is that when the name came along and where did Ultra come from? Yeah. So once we found an angel investor, which we were incredibly lucky to find, it was, it was just, I don't know how much of it was just luck and how much of it was, we were just networking and doing well. He'd been the, the angel investor had, um, worked with golden quite a bit in terms of his biomechanics. I was actually his son's, I was volunteering as an assistant scoutmaster, and I was his, um, or about a year and a half earlier, I was his son's in the scouting program with his son. And so I knew him from, from a couple of years back, um, golden had been working with him on his biomechanics and we pitched the idea to him. He said, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he was able to front some of the starter money, which was just really cool how that worked out. We got very lucky because if you think about it, 2009 was not a very mm. good year to mm-hmm. get funding. And so funding was, um, uh, very, very difficult and we got very lucky. And so once we got the funding, that's when it's really started full bore where this was real. We had an advanced prototype company in Portland that was ready to go. Uh, we had funding and that's when we really started fall of 2009, digging deep into what the shoe brand was going to be. And so we, started digging around, um, with different words and different names and inspirations. And it was almost very simple. It was, we wanted an A name just so we could mm. be alphabetical. That that's kind of our goal was we wanted an A name. Okay. And so we started finding, writing words down. Uh, we started by altering shoes, mm. uh, ultra alternative golden. And I were both ultra marathon runners. And then we found the, the, the real kicker that pulled it all together was we found a word in Latin altera. And it means to change or to fix. I love that. That's so cool. And we felt as a brand that we were changing. We were fixing a broken industry and broken runners. And that's what ultra means. That's who ultra is. And that was when it was like this aha, like that's it. That's done. So cool. And, um, you know, and that kind of spurred off a couple spinoffs from that. If you take out the A's. In Ultra, you get LTR, and that's um, we don't do it as much now, but we for quite a few years that was our learn to run program, mm. where biomechanics is in the DNA of who Ultra is, and so we always felt that no one really taught us um, outside of Hawk, no one taught the industry how to run, and so that was one of our goals was to encourage people to think about biomechanics and to run with better biomechanics and ultras um, encouraged you to do that more. That's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love, I love hearing that background. Although one thing I think we need to work on together is getting whoever is in charge of spell check to add the word because the amount of times (laughs) it changes ultra to alter, um, like as in uh, standing at the altar, I just, every time I'm like, no, like you have to go back and change the word because it just, it's one of those ones where it doesn't even ask you. It just changes uh, it. I totally agree. <laughs> well, and then here's another fun story that, that correlates with that is we also mm. need the logo. Yeah. And so when we kind of put it out there and we found a website um, that you can post, a, uh, you know, people make logos or things like that. And we said, we're going to choose a logo out of this and we're going to pay 300 bucks. And so we, some guy, I think his name was like, 
dark boy something, uh, created the logo and we paid him 300 bucks. We had about 200 submissions for a logo. That was the logo we found. We loved it. We named it the journey logo. So it's a distancing road and, um, it's called the journey. And that was where the logo came from. And that's where the name came from. Does the, does dark boy, whatever, no. I, I have, I doubt, I have no idea, but we, he's never reached out. He like, it, we don't know who he is. It was One just a he's online competition story. and it, and it cost us 300 bucks. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. One day he's going to realize and he's going to sell a story and be like, Hey, it was my, my brainchild here. Like <laughs> take the credit for you. Um, he hasn't come out of the weeds yet. So maybe soon. Okay. All right. So, you know, we, you mentioned a little bit earlier that some of the other running brands kind of, you know, were quite rude. Some kind of laughed at you. Some were kind of writing you off, essentially. Um, well, two parts to this, you know, starting a shoe brand in an industry where these there are these massive players that have, that must have been pretty intimidating. So tell us about the process of that. And then with them kind of uh, these brands kind of not really taking you seriously at the beginning, um, how did, did that kind of light your fire further to be like, you know what, we're going to prove you guys wrong. Or was it really nothing to do with any of the other brands? No, th- we definitely had a chip on our shoulder from the other brands. Um, we'd been trying to get them to make shoes that were lighter and more flexible, uh, roomier in the toe box. That was something we'd been trying to do for a decade. And so we definitely had a bit of a chip on our shoulder. Um, you know, golden and I are both, not just in running, but in life and everything we do very, very competitive. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we, we really attacked it. Um, our attitude was very much, uh, we are going to be different. And sometimes we do it just to be different sake. You know, the attitude was very much, uh, we're not going to beat Nike or Brooks or Asics, um, or Adidas at what they're good at. Right. Mm -hmm. We're going to beat them where they're weak. And so we really targeted their weakness with our background at run specialty. We really focused our entire attack plan and business plan about our, our run specialty. That was who we knew and that was what we knew. And so we, we went after those shoe brands. We, we were unapologetically ultra. We were borderline abrasive and we stood up, we put our flag in the sand and said, this is who we are. We believe that we are, um, the next evolution. And so as we were going through, I don't even know if I was scared. I don't think, I don't remember being scared. I remember like, we're going to stick it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to go after it. And, um, and we did. Has, uh, have any of those people that you first kind of told about it at other brands ever said to you like, Oh yeah. Wow. You, you know, we were wrong. Like you, you know, wish we'd yes. listened to you back then. You have had that? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. suppose and you can tell us who that was, but that's interesting for us to wonder about that. Well, <laughs> to be honest, uh, to be honest, I, I will actually give another brand props. I don't know if that's legal or not. Um, <laughs> You're the, you tell me it's your brand. The, the, the nicest, the nicest brand, the nicest right. brand and the ones, the brand that said, huh, that is really, really interesting. And you've, we've watched, um, they have followed suit more than any other brand that was Saucony. Um, they've mm-hmm. dropped their heel faster and more than any other brand. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that were nicest to us. Okay. So we, I feel like we've led and we've seen so many brands, um, drop their heel heights, drop their heel heights at the time, every brand absolutism, almost every single shoe and every brand, the heel was twice as high as the forefoot. Um, if there was 10 millimeters of cushion at the forefoot, the drop was 10 
most of brands was 24 and 12. Mm -hmm. Every single brand was the hill was twice as high. And so over the last 10 years, a lot of these brands took them seven, eight, nine, 10 years to even come out with a single shoe that had a lower drop than that. But Mm -hmm. it's been fun watching the entire industry shift towards a lower drop shoe. And I think the benefits weigh it out. That's why they are following suit is we think it is better way. That must feel pretty cool though, knowing that just seeing them kind of one by one coming out with, with, you know, low, like you said, lower and lower, um, heel raises to be like, wow, you know, I, I don't know if we were the sole, sole reason they did that, but that's pretty cool that we had an impact there. Absolutely. And we, we felt that, um, we actually thought brands would copy us faster. We were so convinced we were correct. We still are, but we were surprised after, you know, year two and year three and year four, that more brands weren't hopping on board, but they have, they have, you look at it now. um, We feel like we started ultra to change the industry. That's what the word means. And we felt that we've accomplished that. Really cool. And I'm going to, um, just for anyone listening at the, at the end, I'm going to ask Brian some kind of transition tips as I know that's quite a, a question, quite a lot of you had, um, and, myself coming from, glad you say this, Saucony. Um, I didn't have too much issue because I was already kind of in a, a four millimeter drop anyway. But um, I know a lot of people do have questions about that. So at the end of this, I'm going to ask Brian about that so you can stay tuned for that. But continuing on with your story, you know, things were looking good. Uh, you you said you had that first kind of um, support through funding at a time when you didn't really, you know, it was difficult to get funding. But um you then had some trouble in the second and third rounds of funding and, and getting trademarks, you know, some things going wrong. Tell us about, you know, who, who came in and saved the day and, <laughs> and how did that kind of make you feel knowing that, um, you, you know, you had a way through. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was, it was getting to the point where, um, I, I just quit my job and, uh, at, at the outdoor store and golden was, had ramped down his hours big time at runner's corner. And we were getting pretty desperate. Um, the shoes were essentially finished. We needed to order some cell samples and we needed, um, about 70, 60 to $70,000. We needed it ASAP. And so we were just asking anybody and everybody we were doing a knocking on doors. We were presenting to angel investor forums here in Utah. We flew to California to pitch um, uh, someone who was interested. And as push came to shove, I went to my dad. I don't know if you noticed, but a few months ago, I kind of hated social media. I couldn't stand it. Not because of everyone else, and usually that is the cause, but it was actually myself. I felt so much pressure to put up a photo and a good photo. It couldn't be a, a great or a fantastic photo because if it was by a photographer, I was losing that authenticity. But it couldn't just be a photo of my feet, which was what I was actually looking at most of the time in reality while I was sitting on the couch. But I felt so much pressure and I, I felt like I had so much to say, but it just felt fake, like going to take a picture just for the sake of it. I don't know about you, but I really miss those kind of long communications where it's not about like three tips to help you do this or tag a friend to do that, but not something that get you to click, but just good old fashioned emails, you know, like the ones I would send my friends while I was on my lunch break at work before the days of iPhones. I love that like personal nature while at the same time, you know, letting it flow out onto the keyboard, letting your real self kind of the way that you talk flow out onto the keyboard. And I love writing emails in the same way that I would speak them, the way that you're hearing me right now. 
And that is my goal with these emails. It's not to sell you stuff. It's not to bombard you with emails, but I want to connect with you. I want to get to know you and, and talk to you the way that I would talk to any of my friends. And I love the replies that I receive every week. It makes me feel like I'm getting to know you a little bit better. I know you get to know me really well through this show, but I love that I can also kind of hear you too. So I am talking about, as I haven't actually mentioned it yet, my Running For Real um, or my email newsletter that comes out once a week, every Monday. It's just a thought for the week, you know, some kind of long chat about um, what I've been thinking about, something that is kind of going on, um, just kind of within me or within friends and things like that. Something I'm thinking about. Often I have a bit of a talent for making it resonate with people. Um, It's all about treating yourself better, becoming the best person you can be and just kind of If you like me in this podcast, you'll probably enjoy it. There's also some updates for the week and some recommendations, more just kind of things that I've been listening to or reading that I've been really enjoying. No pressure to click on any of those or anything. I'm not selling anything, well, very rarely. Um, I'm not spamming you. I'm just talking to you. So if you enjoy that, you can go to tinamuir.com forward slash subscriber. You can also find it in the show notes um, if you want to check it there. So again, that's tinamuir.com forward slash subscriber. Sign up and I can't wait to get to know you more. We needed about 70, 60 to $70,000. We needed it ASAP. And so we were just asking anybody and everybody. We were doing knocking on doors. We were presenting to angel investor forums here in Utah. We flew to California to pitch um, uh, someone who was interested. And as push came to shove, I went to my dad. And I said, hey, dad, do you know of anybody? My dad's a professor. Um, I'm the youngest of nine kids. Nine? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Youngest of nine. And so it's not like my dad was, you know, loaded, but he was, he was affluent. And I went to him and just said, Hey, do you know of anybody? We are just desperate. Do you know anybody? And it was, I didn't expect at all for him to come with money. I didn't ask him directly for money. And he came back a few days later and with a big, huge, with a big check for 70 grand. And he looked at me, handed me the check. And I was like, wait, what's this? He's like, this is the money you need. And I was like, he's like, cash it if you want. And he's like, it's your inheritance. I pulled him. I pulled a mortgage out on the house. This is your inheritance. So if you lose the money, you're not going to get anything when I die. And I said, okay, cool. Yes. Awesome. So my dad mortgages his house. Um, I risked my inheritance and we got that next round of funding, which was really cool that my dad came through like that. I did not expect that. And as we were talking about, I quit my job. I'm starting a shoe company. And it was really powerful to me mm. that all the people around me, nobody was like, you're stupid. You're going to fail. Almost everybody around me, my supporting cast, my friends, my coworkers, my family were all like really supportive. And so not my dad giving me the money was amazing. But more than that was just the supporting crew that I had around me that they weren't, you're going to fail. This is so dumb. Why are you doing this, Brian? You're never going to be able to. It was really cool that everyone's yeah. like, this is awesome. Go for it. Follow, it's you know, rare was, as well. You, you yeah. don't hear, you do not hear of that very much at all. In fact, you usually hear it the other way that maybe you have the customers, you have the people that are interested, but the family is like, oh, you know, I, I don't know about this. Like, this seems like you usually hear it that way, that those closest to you are the ones like, I, I can't bear for you to get hurt. Like, please don't take this risk. So yeah, really rare and amazing that you did have that all around you. And also shows they saw the magic too. Mm-hmm. Like they, they knew something special. So 
you know, going, going with that check, did that make you feel, did that give you more confidence or did you, did it make you feel like, wow, I had better not screw this up? <laughs> there was, there was a little bit of both, um, you know, depending on the day, <laughs> you know, Hey, I can't screw this up. Um, but at the same time it was, it was, there was a lot of confidence. Um, you know, as looking back on it, we, we really believed, you know, um, and I think that got us through a lot of those hard times, the doubts, um, there was some naysayers, luckily none of them were in my close circle, but, um, we were confident. We really, we believed and that got us through a lot. And so I was confident. I was confident. Mm -hmm. And then, so tell us about the moment you realized that it was worth it, that, you know, this is, this is happening and, and we're, you know, you've said you, you've realized you've made a difference and changed the industry. Tell us about the moment where you first thought, wow, this is happening. Yeah. Um, th there was a couple of, of main milestones that where I was like, this is going to work. And the biggest came for me when I was running, um, Wasatch 100 in 2010. Um, I'd run it, um, in 2007 as my very first hundred mile race. And I had suffered through terrible blisters for almost 70 miles um, to the point where the balls of my feet were um, had turned to massive blisters and those blisters had ripped open. <laughs> and so it was I was on this just it was so painful. It was a terrible horror story of the 100 milers that you hear. And I suffered through it, um, taping my, the balls of my feet repeatedly over the race, just trying to suffer through. And so um, I, and I'd only at that point I'd done finished. 200 mile races. And I dropped out of a third and all of them I'd had struggle with blisters. And so that cell sample, um, that we needed my dad to pay for, um, showed up a couple weeks before Wasatch 100. Um, these were the first like fully runnable ultras that were essentially done, right? Um, not all the final little details, but these were the, the, this was the big sample run of, we had three different models, male and female. So we, six pairs of shoes cost us $70,000. Mm. So if you want to know what startup fees for, for, uh, starting a shoe company is that's, that's where it is. And it, <laughs> it gets bigger from there. And so, um, they showed up and I decided to run my hundred mile race in these shoes and the pair of Lone Peaks. And I, I started the race I had in my drop bags. I had extra other shoes that of course were modified zero drop, um, with the, the wide lacing and so forth. And so I had them in my bag just in case. And, you know, as you're running, I, I, I was gaining confidence in the run and I was like, these shoes are amazing. Oh my gosh. And then the night comes. And for those who have run hundred mile races, the nights you just zone out. Like it's, it's, you're not thinking of anything. And as I was coming down, it was starting to get light. Um, I'd been running about 25 hours, 26 hours at that point. And at mile 97, uh, you could kind of see in the glimmer of the finish as you're going down this beautiful single track trail. And at mile 97, it would just, I don't know where it came from. I just had this like, we'll call it whatever you want to call it message from God, just like this nature told me whatever it was, this, this just knowledge came and just hit me. And it was the most powerful, one of the most powerful things I've ever had in my life happen where it just was bam. And I knew that ultra would be successful. It was, I, it, I just knew it. Mm -hmm. And at that point I'd already quit my job six months earlier. I had a one-year-old baby boy, um, with, you know, with no income, I'd mortgaged my dad's house and used up my inheritance. And until that moment, I don't know if I fully knew, I believed, 
But at that moment, I knew mm-hmm. uh, without any, I mean, just without a shadow of a doubt, just I knew that Ultra would be successful. And from that point on, um, my confidence just rose that, I mean, went skyrocket. It literally just shot into the atmosphere. And it was really powerful. Um, I'd finished the race uh, four, over four hours faster. I did not have a single blister. And, um, and I just knew. And the Lone Peak, people always talk about, oh, you know, this shoe's great. I love this shoe. It feels like it's made for my foot. And it's pretty awesome that the Lone Peak is literally made for my foot. Mm-hmm. And I just knew. And so since then, that was what, early September of 2010, in which I just, I've just known ever since then that we would be successful. So cool. So cool. Thank you so much. And so nice that it happened in a race, in a, in a situation that, you know, you would, that's what you were doing it for, for the runners out there who want to be racing, who want to be out in nature. And um, yeah, just really special there. And since, you know, since that time, Ultra's obviously grown a lot, um, been uh, acquired by VF Corporation, which uh, if I read this right, is uh, or, is or was in 2019, uh, number 252 on the Fortune 500 list. So definitely we're talking a big company here, um, mm-hmm. you know, has grown a lot. How did that feel to be acquired by, you know, a brand like that who, you know, many of the listeners will know, uh, is it North Face, um, yep, yep. Smart Wool? Smart Wool. Smart Wool. Who else? Their biggest brand's actually Vans. Vans. Okay, yes. Vans, uh, Timberland, Smart Wool, mm-hmm. Jansport, um, Dickies. Um, it's, it is, it's a massive company. Um, you know, our first acquisition was a company called Icon Health and Fitness. That was our third round of funding, and that happened in 2011. And then in 2018, it was announced that VF would acquire us. And there was a transition there that finalized in July of 2019. And so it was validation that, that we, we were, we'd, we'd made it, we were big time. And, and I, I, not that that was, um, super important, but it was definitely reassuring and validating that with all that growth happening and that acquisition that we weren't just going to make it. We were going to, we were going to become big. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think what I know now and, and seeing what's happened, my belief that we are big now, and I truly believe we're going to be huge. Um, and we're not slowing down. Um, more and more people are, are experiencing the benefits and spreading the word. And we recognize that it might not be for everybody, but we think we belong amongst the big guys and we're going to be there. Yeah, I love that. Actually, the other day I was in my um, mummy and me music class with my daughter and there's 10, 10 mothers in the room and three of us were wearing ultras Yay. and the other two didn't run. They weren't runners. And weirdly enough, I was sitting there and in one of the breaks, one of the women said to me, what do you think of ultra? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, is she not only like, were we wearing these shoes, but she noticed I was wearing them and wanted to ask me why I was wearing them. So I just, for me, I was like, wow, this is really, really yeah. cool that 30% of the people in the room could be wearing any shoes. They weren't all runners. Um, and the two of them were wearing ultras and for them again, it was the wide toe boxes that they loved, but, um, they, yeah, it was just really, really kind of a moment for me where I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is continuing to grow. And obviously as, as I've mentioned many times, I'm honored to be a part of this and you've mentioned Ultra is, you know, known for charging their own path. Um, what, what you guys did with Alicia and I are kind of more evidence of that. Um, and you as a brand kind of pride yourself on not copying the direction of others. So 
you know, tell us about that approach. Like, is it just the the heart of you, um, Golden and Jeremy, or is any part of it kind of like to the other brands saying, you know, you guys go in your own way, what you're doing works for you, but maybe for us, we're going to go the complete opposite way because that's who we are. Like, is any part of like, not like a stubbornness, but kind of like a, you didn't believe in us, just watch us. We're going to keep trying new things and see where it goes. Yeah. That's a great question. I think it always, it starts with golden and I and Jeremy's attitudes. That's just kind of where just like to question the norm. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when you're able to start fresh, you know, these other brands have 40, 50, hundred years of history and they're battleships. It's hard to shift mm-hmm. something like that where us, it's so new and young and fresh and our personalities match that so that we could, could do it. And as we've kind of put pen to paper under VF is even scrutinized some of this, like, Hey, what are your mission statements? What are your core values? And one of the core values that we've always had, and we still have to this day that, that all ultra employees, um, get to know, and it's on pen to paper is that our, one of our core values is disruptive. Mm -hmm. That's our attitude that, that we don't need to worry about questioning the norm. Um, and there's certain things that the other brands do that work and we followed suit on certain areas. Um, we're going to try to follow, um, the best course of action, but we don't need to follow just because for the sake of following, Mm -hmm. um, we like to question, we want research, we want to, um, establish who we are not comparing ourselves to others, but upon our own merits and our own standards. Okay. Thank you. And if that's being disruptive, that's, that's what we're going to be. Does any part of you worry about the future now you are, have been acquired by VF, you know, as you get bigger, like you said, you are going to keep getting bigger. Does any part of you worry you will end up a battleship that will struggle to move? Well, um, I think inevitably anytime the bigger you get, the harder it is. I think that has to do more with the size of the company Mm -hmm. than it does with VF. And I was a lot more worried a year and a half ago when I heard about the acquisition. But now that we've been acquired, the team has been established and uh, kind of reestablished, I guess. And I am more confident now than ever that that we are going to stay true to who we are and that that the power of VF is only going to enhance um, what makes us unique. They didn't buy us because, you know, we sucked. They didn't <laughs> buy us to homogenize us. They bought us because we are awesome, because we are different. Um, so Cool. Thank you. All right. So if someone listening who has an idea for something that wants to be made, but they feel completely overwhelmed um, of where to start, yes, things have changed a little since 2009, 2010. But people can see that starting a running shoe brand is not like starting a, you know, a make your own stamps Etsy shop. Like there's a lot of pieces, as you said, like five pair of shoes costing your six pairs of shoes costing you 70,000 with what kind of got you in that first round of funding or um, second or third round of funding. Can't remember what you said. Um, But there's a lot of pieces there. So what advice from all that you have learned would you give to someone who has an idea like this is missing, this needs to be done. I want to be the one to do it, but I just, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Mm. Well, I think there, you know, the internet's just powerful tool. Um, we found that advanced prototype company through LinkedIn. Um, there's resources out there. There are, I I don't think people should be overwhelmed, 
um, from getting an idea. There are sites to find manufacturing. There are, um, you know, the information's out there and I think you just have to hustle. You have to bird dog it. You have to, um, follow up every lead. You know, it became to the point almost of overwhelming, um, at a certain point where it is, you can make it happen. It becomes consuming, Mm. right? It was, it was, we ate, drank and slept, um, ultra and, um, that passion was able to help us bird dog it and find ways and question the norms and find the right contacts and network. And I think people, although it, it, they should feel there is a sense of difficulty and there's a reason a lot of businesses fail, but I think that passion and that bird dogging and that hard work that you can find ways to do it. And if you believe in your product and your idea, you're going to find a way to make it work and you're going to find a way to make it happen. So on that note, you having three kids, you said it kind of almost becoming consuming. How did you find that balance? Because a lot of people listening may also have kids. Um, I myself, you know, I have my business, but I'm so scared of getting down that path where I get obsessed with, you know, working that I kind of neglect my daughter and future child. Um, you know, how did you, how did you balance that when, when, like you said, it was consuming your thoughts. How did you make yourself be present with your kids? Yeah, it was, it it was a challenge. Um, uh, there's, uh, there's no doubt about it. There were times and years and months and days, depending on how granular you want to go, where I was great. And there was times when I wasn't. And for me, um, ultra probably became, um, almost too much, um, where my running had taken a huge dip, you know, during, before the VF acquisition, we were growing almost at an unsustainable rate. Mm -hmm. It was, it was very, very difficult. Um, I was the president at the time and it was, it was very overwhelming. And my running had taken a massive dip the last few years. I hadn't been running very much. I'd still been racing a little bit, but it was, it was hard. And so I was having a hard time finding that balance. And, um, with the VF acquisition, it was, those are massive, the amount of dollars. And so I really got put through the ringer and, looking back on it now, I'm really proud of the fact that I, I realized that it was too much. And so I stepped down as president before that reason that I wanted to, um, spend more time with my family and find a better balance. And so it's hard. It is really hard. And there's times where I've been great and successful, especially when my kids were younger, I thought I had more energy and, um, ultra wasn't so big yet. And there it's, it's hard. It's always a balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ultimately my family comes first and, um, I'm really happy that my balance right now is fantastic. I'm it's, it's been opened up a little more time to come and speak with, with you and others mm-hmm. like this and be able to tell the story, but also I've been able to spend a little bit more time with my family now. And that balance is the hard work was worth it, but now, um, finding that balance has been great for me. And also that takes a lot of confidence to delegate to, like you said, step mm-hmm. down from being president, the one in, in charge of all power. And then, um, kind of taking that role that you have, you're now director of PR and strategy. Um, you know, that takes, you have to be able to have that self-awareness to be able to pull your ego away from the situation and say, you know what, this is best for my life as a whole. So well done to you for doing that. Now, yeah, thank you. let's talk about a few more things just in general for the listeners to help them. Um, okay. So for listeners who have either, I would hope no one has never heard of Ultra before this day, but um, <laughs> for those who have heard of the brand, 
you know, maybe they're on the fence. Um, give them some reasons. You know, you've said a lot of them today um, to give them a try. And, you know, what would you like to say that maybe get, gets lost in translation or that people forget to think about? What would you like to tell them some things about the shoes in general? Yeah, I think that sometimes the word zero drop has had a negative connotation that is associated with minimalism. And I think that's where a lot of the negative concerns come from. It has less to do with ultra and it Mm -hmm. has more to do with the association of zero drop and minimalism. And so we recently, uh, which I love are, we still are a zero drop company and that was how we founded it, but we're now calling it something different. We're now calling it balanced cushioning. And I think that that's what people don't realize sometimes Mm -hmm. when they hear of ultra is that our forefoot cushion yeah. always has and still does has the same amount of cushion as any other brand out there. There's no less less cushioning at the forefoot mm-hmm. than Asics, Brooks, Nike, even Hoka. It's just that we don't have that elevated heel. Mm-hmm. And the foot shape, like you said, a lot of people have been gravitating more and more to that. And I think that ultimately it's about comfort and ultimately it's about natural comfort right? We put you in a natural position. Think about it. When you get out of bed every morning, right? You are balanced, right? And those toes can splay. And so, and you're naturally aligned all the way up the kinetic chain through the knees, the hips, the back, et cetera. And so for us, we're also gender specific in our fit. Most brands, I know I didn't get to that yet. The, the, (laughs) The, um, almost every brand out there, the male and the female fits are exactly the same. Think about it in terms of jeans. If there was unisex jeans, how would those fit? Mm. And shoes are just like that. Um, and our shoes are completely gender specific. Every male shoe is made on a a men's last or fit. And the women's is made on a women's last and fit and and have been from the beginning. And so for us, it's all about getting you in net that nature knows best, right? If nature wanted you with an elevated heel and squished toes, why weren't you born that way? And so for those of you who are are nervous about it, this is how nature intended you to be. And the second thing is that if you are concerned about the transition, because what happens is that angle of impact is adjusted to take pressure off of your knees, hips, and back, and it places it on a muscle, AKA the calves typically feel, get Mm -hmm. the brunt of that. And so if people try us for the very first time and feel a little lower calf soreness, that's a great thing because what that means is that pressure is now off of your knees and it's now onto your muscle. Muscles can get stronger. And so, so, you know, you need to take a little bit of time to transition. I just recommend alternating your old shoes with your new shoes for a couple of weeks. And as your, if your calves are a little sore, then take a little bit longer to transition. If your calves aren't sore, Great. Keep going. And the more cushion you have, the easier it is to transition. So, you know, our models like the Torin Mm -hmm. or the Paradigm Mm -hmm. are typically going to be easier to to transition to than our lower cushion shoes, because ultimately that's the difference with ultras. All of them are balanced cushion. All of them are foot shaped and all of them are gender specific. It just matters on what level of cushion and support you want. And so low cushion, moderate cushion, high cushion, and typically those moderate to high cushion shoes are going to be easier to transition to. Good. Thank you for mentioning that. And I think that kind of brings up a good point with um, the, 
I think a lot of the the fear is see what I what comes to my mind is um the 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 road racing flats that I used to race in when I would um you know run my marathons and things like that. I think people think that ultra is because it is zero drop or balance cushion that is what you said right balance cushion. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. balance cushion. People think that it's going to be this very like thin base and it's mm-hmm. just like you said that that connection even though it's not actually there to minimalism but you will see when you look the ultra a lot of the shoes like you said are quite plush they do have you know um it's it's kind of the same drop the whole way along but there's quite a, a thick cushy layer and you mentioned the Turin, and what was the other one you said the paradigm paradigm i haven't run in that pair but um you know those those two for those of you listening who are nervous about it um i definitely the Turin for me was a was a great one for transitioning across. Um, and then, yeah, from there you can kind of try out some of the ones with, with less and less cushioning if you like, but I know mm-hmm. that many of the listeners, um, have really enjoyed using the Torins because they haven't had that crazy, um, adjustment period. Um, and if you do find that you are kind of experiencing that cough, um, soreness, um, as Brian mentioned, you know, that's kind of a sign that you, you know, you, you're in that transition phase, but the, um, Torin, you know, or the paradigm—I've forgotten it again. Paradigm, paradigm um, should uh, should help with that. But for me, I went straight into the Escalante, and I do think some of that was um, a little bit too much to start with. So just be mindful that when people like myself are recommending the Escalante or the Cayenta or the you know Escalante racers, I have had that time to transition. So maybe start yourself off with one of the more plush pairs. So just to reiterate that with my own experience. Um, Brian, anything else you would like to add, um, about the brand, about kind of your, your fan base, the, the customers who have supported you the whole way through that we haven't covered so far? Um, well, yeah, just a couple things real quick. I, I just want to reiterate that a lot of people, like you said, in terms of the transition and maybe being scared of ultra, keep in mind that we started ultra, not for the elite <laughs> fast runners. A lot of people associate, Oh, I can't run in those. Those are only for those fast runners. We started ultra to fix, right. To fix injured runners. That was the whole reason. Beginner runners are our favorite people to get ultras in because they don't then have to transition, yeah. right? The actual transition takes place as they, as they start their, their running, they don't get in those bad habits. They don't start over striding and heel striking like they do in other brands. So just keep in mind that, that we started ultra for injured runners and beginner runners, not the elites. And the second part of that question was, oh boy, I just lost it. What, what was the second part of the question? I had in my mind what I was going to say. If you want to call that a question, most of my questions <laughs> tend to be more of a ramble with with a question mark at the end. Um, but I was saying about, uh, yeah, the transitioning about, you know, the seeing people like myself or, or you know, one of the Cara or one of the other elites wearing these, lower plush shoes, uh, anything about that or I don't know what else it could have been. Yeah. I sorry. I got, I got so fixated on that one answer, but ultimately, um, you know, ultra, we're really proud of what we created and, um, we, we believe, um, and we love it. And we, we, um, we think that the industry is just at the, just started to change. And we think that there's so much more you can do with footwear that, that challenging the norm and evolving is 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 fantastic and we're really proud of of being at the forefront of that in the industry 
Great. And I want to remind people listening that uh, you every month this year, you can enter to win um, a pair of ultra shoes of your choice. Um, they are giving a pair away to one of my listeners every month. Um, and if you enter once, you enter every month for the rest of the year. So you can go to tinamuir.com forward slash ultra. That's A-L-T-R-A. And um, go enter that because then maybe you could get your first pair for free. Uh, all right, Brian, where can people find you, follow you? I mean, I know you mentioned your other passion is, is fishing and there's quite a lot of fishing on your own personal <laughs> stuff. So if people are interested in fishing, maybe they will find you there. But tell us about um, Ultra in general. Where can people find out more um, and anything else you'd want to add? Yeah, um, you know, our, our, our website's a great source of information. I think that we're really proud of, of showcasing why Ultra exists and the education behind it. Um, you're welcome to follow me on social media, Brian underscore Ultra on Instagram, and then Brian Beck said on Facebook. And, um, I, I definitely mix it up between running and family and fishing, which is uh, my other, my other hobby. And I do actually have a, a, a ultra fishing is I a word that, I yeah. kind of toyed the term where I like to, I didn't have time. Like you mentioned earlier in terms of finding that balance in life, I didn't have time to do the backpacking mm-hmm. and the fishing and the running as I train. And so, um, I would pack up my little gear. I have a little extra light fishing gear and I run up into the mountains here in Utah, mostly mm-hmm. the Uinta mountains and I'll go 10 or 15 miles up into the mountains and then take a couple hours and fish, take a little fishing rod and then run, huh. you know, 10, 20 miles out. I've done up to 40 miles in a single day and I catch lots and lots of fish in the summer, my summers too. Wait, do you put them back in your backpack and yeah. take them down? No, 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 no. I catch and release. Okay. It's, it's just a fly fishing. So it's fly fishing. Okay. And, um, it's one of my favorite things to do in the world is to combine all my favorite hobbies yeah. of backpacking, trail running and fishing. And I just do it all in one day. Cause I don't have time yeah. to do it all with, with business and work. And so, cool. um, it's uh, it's just a fun hobby and something I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Well, Brian, on behalf of myself and so many others, I want to thank you, Golden and Jeremy, for what you've done here. Um, I want to thank you for being brave enough to kind of take a stand on not just, you know, with myself and Alicia, but so many other things and just, um, yeah, making a difference in this world. So thank you. And my pleasure. Thank you. My friends, if you have a minute and you could leave a review on your favorite podcast player, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Class, Spotify, or whatever else podcast player you use to listen to this podcast, or if you would subscribe to this podcast, you will help me get out in front of new runners to make our tribe even bigger and even better. It might not seem like you as one person can make a difference, but really it helps a lot. And it shows me you appreciate the hard work I put in for those. Thank you so much. Pretty cool story, huh? And did you ever imagine, you know, how life would have been trying to to take those steps and to take those big, you know, leaps of faith, but also having that kind of confidence in in a product and something that you're making? I mean, that must have been a really good feeling for him. And I hope that was helpful for also clearing up kind of questions that you had about ultra running shoes. Um, that is something I wanted to add in the end there because... I know many of you have asked me about it. Um, and as I mentioned, I went from kind of a four millimeter to a zero. So that really wasn't a big deal for me, but I know for many it is. So I hope Brian's advice was helpful there. And I hope you kind of, you know, got to know and love the company a little bit more and appreciated that episode. You can find links to everything we talked about today in the show notes, in addition to entering for that uh, free pair of shoes every month from Ultra by going to tinamuir.com forward slash episode 183. 
And again, you can also check out our sponsors there. And I just want to say like any sponsors who are working with me, working with other podcasts you listen to, working with other people that you really respect and look up to, you purchasing those products goes a long way. It really sends a massive message to not only that person, but that brand that that person is valuable and that their voice means something. So um, I know this is a, is a tough time and we're really trying to watch what we're spending, but any support that you can give towards the people that you love and respect, as well as the brands that are supporting them, it's really appreciated. So my friends, thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Running For Real podcast. Be sure to check out tinamuir.com for show notes and even more helpful running information.